Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa This evening, I would like to talk about uh, dealing with thoughts. Joseph gave wonderful instructions about thoughts. And uh, I'd like to continue from there. I think it's very prominent. <laughs> Maybe you haven't noticed. <laughs> I mean, I enjoy thinking. I don't know about you. <laughs> I enjoy my thoughts. So I was motivated actually to talk about this. How do we deal with thoughts when they arise? What uh, kinds of thoughts that arise uh, most of the time? Uh, sometimes they're obsessive thoughts. And also I like to give some uh, uh, techniques, some ways of uh, dealing with thoughts. The Buddha gave uh, various techniques how to overcome obsessive thoughts. I would call them thought management techniques in order to sound American, actually. <laughs> to overcome uh, compulsive, obsessive thinking syndrome, quotes. Very American again. <laughs> we have to talk in modern times, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's uh, maybe Papancha again, but uh, <laughs> if you have no thought, you're exempted from listening anyway. So, uh, but those who are having a lot of thoughts, uh, like most of us, uh, I'm going to offer some few tips actually that will, will help you. Joseph has already offered wonderful techniques, but I'll just continue. Uh, it seems from my investigation there are three kinds of thoughts. <clears throat> In Pali language, one is called vitaka. Taka means to, it's a root, so which means to think. So vitakati means to think. So these are the thoughts the Buddha talk about in the first number two, I mean in a, the number eight four path, uh, talk about uh, thoughts of uh, generosity, thoughts of loving kindness, thoughts of compassion. So uh, they are called sometimes initial application of thought. Then uh, there's also another kind of thought which is called vichara. Chara is a root there from, uh, which means to move. Actually the verb is in charati, which is, means to move around. So you sustain those thoughts of loving kindness and generosity then you keep on going, so you are sustaining those thoughts. Those are kind of thoughts which actually uh, can be useful if you, 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 you think in a wholesome way. But there are some kind of, uh, other kind of thought which is called papancha, a very interesting word, <laughs> and it's very common in Dharma centers everywhere you go. 
people talk about yogi mind. <laughs> I don't know if you have experienced that. I had uh, about uh, a yogi mind happening at IMS here. I think Joseph was giving a talk where a yogi was sitting here and had the sound of an airplane and he wanted to write to the aviation officer to reroute the airplane. <laughs> Welcome to Yogi Mind. Actually, this is Joseph's story, actually. <laughs> Good luck to, if you can reroute to airplanes. <laughs> that reminds me of my temple in Uganda. It's right on a lake, Lake Victoria, and it's next to Entebbe International Airport. It's amazing. I mean, every time I hear planes landing and taking off, it's just amazing. So uh, every time I'm in my temple in Uganda, I'm thinking about Joseph's story. It has never gone out of my mind. <laughs> so what I found out with thoughts and words, actually, in themselves, they have no problem, but the way we relate to the, these words and thoughts. Two things happened in Uganda. One is uh, my attendant called me recently. I was in Uganda two months ago, and I was leading a retreat there. And then after that, I, I went somewhere. And then I've, I received a call from my attendant. Um, and then it was around 9 p.m. He called me, Bante, I'm going to leave this temple. I said, why are you leaving? He said, oh, you know, your cousin, I have a cousin who just re recently became a Buddhist and is very active, and I gave him a job to be a, a temple coordinator. So he told me, your cousin has just insulted me. He called me a dog. We have two dogs at the temple. He called me a dog, and then I'm going to leave the temple. Please stop him from paying me the salary. I don't want to see that man again. But I'm leaving now. So he kept on going on, going on, and I don't want to, to spend time on, on what he said. Later on, I stopped him a little bit because I, I saw it was going wild there. I said, are you a dog? He said, no, I'm not a dog. And then I asked him, why do you get angry? He, he, he could not answer. And that man is still there. It's amazing he's still there, but he was ready to leave, actually, the temple. You can imagine how we believe in our thoughts. I mean, what, even what we believe in what other people say. Why do we believe in what other people say? It's just a thought. It's a word. But the way we actually interpret it makes a whole difference. Now, another thing came to me, again, in Uganda. A few years ago, I went to, uh, to visit a center. It's called Moonies, it's, uh, I think, from Korea. It's a kind of a uh, Christian branch. Uh, from, came from Korea. They do this kind of uh, mass marriage and uh, with the hope that all people, if they intermarry, the peace is going to come to the world. So then I visited them at the Peace Embassy in Uganda. And then this lady is from Guyana. I mean, I've been associating with them a lot, doing blessings and all these things. So the last time I went there, she told me, Bant, I'm sorry, you are going to go to hell. I said, what? (Laughter) 
actually I thought it was a joke. She was serious. <laughs> then I asked her, why am I going to hell? He said, Bante, I'm sorry you are going to hell because you are not married. You should join us. <laughs> Intermarry. I don't know with the Russian or the Japanese. I don't know whatever arrangement they had for, the, for me. <laughs> I said, please, can you tell me why am I going to hell? He said, yes, you are not married. I, what, I said, what about monks in Burma, in Sri Lanka and uh, Thailand? Because are, those countries have so many monks. They say, all of them, they are going to go to hell. <laughs> I said, okay. But, but for me, I'm doing a lot of work at my temple. I have a water project. People, uh, people come from all over the village to get water for free from my temple. Uh, we have educated the kids around our area and all this. We are doing a lot of social work. He said, no, 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 that, that, does that, that doesn't count, actually. So she discounted that. I said, okay. I said, okay, you are going to heaven? I said, yes. Okay, don't worry. I'll go to hell. You go to heaven. If I go to heaven with you, it's going to be overcrowded. And you are, going to, no, you are not going to enjoy it. I mean, imagine if all monks from Thailand, Thai, Sri Lanka, all end up in heaven. You are not going to enjoy it. You'll hate it. Then she was so relaxed. <laughs> Because she knows that she has a reserved place there. Anyway. <laughs> reflecting on what the Buddha talked about, how to go to heaven, you must be... Three things if you want to go to, to heaven. Uh, you must not get angry. Don't really... Uh, have, in other words, have metta, loving kindness. Um, talk the truth. And give when you're asked. In other words, practice generosity. I say, I've done all those things. I don't get angry easily. I, I give, I've given the entire, my, the entire life. I've given it to the Dharma. <laughs> and I, I, I'm, I'm very generous in that way. So in my mind, I say, okay, you know, for us, heaven is just a fringe benefit. It's a bonus, you know. It's a kind of a transit. I wanted to tell her that actually, for us, heaven is a, trans a transit. And so we have a, a higher than Nibbana. I mean, higher than heaven, so Nibbana. But I said, no, no, there's no need prior to go to all that. <laughs> so I said, goodbye. I'm going back to the States. Enjoy your heaven. <laughs> that was the end, the end of it. So uh, I can see the relationship that I would get into this lady who told me to go to hell, that actually it could be really terrible if I was not practicing meditation. Yes, because for me, I've witnessed people uh, fighting with each other. One person say, you're a pig, and say, I'm not a pig, you're a pig, I'm not a pig. So it goes back and forth like that. And before you know where you are, you see blows, actually. I mean, it's really, it's amazing how this man uh, uh, with thoughts and words make us suffer, actually. So now, papancha is also a very interesting word. Actually, as I was uh, preparing this talk, I think I, I went into a little bit of papancha. 
So, I mean, I say, how are you going to finish this talk? I mean, it's deep, actually. So I just actually uh, put a few things together, but let us go slowly by slowly. So papancha, the, it's a Pali word, it's come from uh, uh, pra, which is an intensification, pa, intensification, and then punch, punch, which means to multiply. I've had so many translations, uh, and people say it's adding on, which is good actually. Then other people say it's delaying. My teacher, Bante Gunaratana, said that it's delaying, actually. Delaying what? Delaying awakening. You delay, in other words. Uh, you put off your enlightenment work so, or project in that case. I've, I've heard about uh, diversification, proliferation. Also, that's another... Uh, translation, but I like it more of multiplication, uh, conceptual multipli multiplication, because that's what happens. Uh, when you multiply, things get bigger, other than adding on. If you look at, let's say, 2 plus 2, maybe uh, may 2 plus 3, that's uh, six, 5, but if you said two, min uh, 2 plus 3, then you get 6. So you keep on multiplying, and then you before you know where you are, you multiply by 10, 100, 1,000, and then you are in 1 million. So it's amazing uh, how we go actually in our minds. So, I, uh, so I've come up with one word, conceptual multiplication. I think that speaks to me better. So you can choose which word you want, but uh, uh, that's what I think papancha is. So you papanchet, that's a verb, papanchet. That's a verb. So we should actually use it in our modern English. <laughs> so whenever you see, you, you see your mind going here and there, you say, wow, papanchet. I think that's a good reminder for us who are into this uh, mental uh, conceptual multiplication. So there are three kinds of papancha, actually. One is tanha, which means thirst, and, uh, craving, tanha. So we also proliferate like that. There's also another one which is called mana or conceit. Mana is a Pali word which means to measure. So we measure ourselves. This is superior than me. This is inferior than me. There's also what we call equal. This is equal. With, uh, so we, we say you are equal to me. So all these things is about measuring whether it's equal, superior, or inferior. So we go on and on when we actually start to measure people um, and things. So there's also what we call ditti, which is views, ditti papancha. So that's uh, myself. This, uh, um, this is actually what we call wrong views, papancha in wrong, wrong views. So it's too bad we are in silence. I would I had love to ask people what are they they are going through actually. Is it one of them? <laughs> Maybe uh, craving and all of that. So it will be very interesting to know what we are going through. <laughs> but I won't ask you because we are maintaining noble silence. But when I look at uh, um, some people. Even in my experience, uh, there is a lot of papancha going on, actually. <laughs> uh, some of it is coming from comparing, the thoughts of comparing others, 
And I remember three months when I was here, I was comparing a lot. There's a yogi here in 1999. I mean, she was walking very slowly, very slowly. And I even remember every time I was a, ring, a bell ringer, and every time I go, I mean, in a boring area. So it was just a narrow place, so very difficult. And then you find her there, I'm telling you, she'll be crawling. <laughs> and I have to ring the bell throughout the whole building. I mean, those days there was no extension, but still, IMS is a huge place. I'm telling you, she, she would walk slowly. I say, is she doing it deliberately or no? <laughs> Doesn't she hear that I'm ringing a bell? Because I, by the time I approached her, I had already. There must be somebody coming. <laughs> she never budged. She just walked. I mean, it's, it reminds me of elephants in India and all these places. Elephants, I don't know in USA, you don't have elephants in roads. But in India, elephants, I mean, it doesn't care whether it's a Mercedes car, whether the, whether the governor's coming, whether there's a convoy. Elephant walk on the same speed. This yogi, actually, for three months, she walked same speed. <laughs> it's amazing. So I compared a lot because for me, poor me, I came from South America. After traveling for one year, I was going very fast, very fast. It took me time, really, to slow down to the IMS speed. <laughs> <laughs> Especially to the, that yogi actually inspired me, apart from ringing the bell and she was annoying me that she's not. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't a monk that time, so. <laughs> so, uh, I said, okay, you know, after the retreat, I'll ask her how she can manage to walk like that. But later on, I found out actually at the end of the retreat, she was a nun in Burma. So she had a solid practice. So I was so inspired, actually, by her walking slowly. Even, actually, as a monk now, as a teacher, I wanted to come here and give a talk about walking slowly. And I said, forget about it. <laughs> They'll figure out how to walk slowly. <laughs> I think walking slowly supports your practice. But I, I went through a lot of thoughts, actually, how to, uh, to uh, and also comparing myself to her. How am I going to walk slower or slower than her? So... <laughs> So I think this is maybe going on. I don't know about you, but that was very prominent for me. So we want to compare ourselves with our fellow yogis, whether they are sitting longer. And actually, that habit would continue of comparing. I went to Burma. <laughs> this time I was a monk. So there was a monk who was sitting for three hours in a stretch. And I said, wow, I should sit like him. <laughs> I'm also a monk. <laughs> what stops me from sitting three hours and I sat there, I went through a lot of pain. <laughs> Is comparing good? Maybe sometime. <laughs> so actually, I ended up also sitting for three hours. So that was my comparing. That's the last time I think I compared, compared myself with the yogi. I said, it's useless. Just go on your own pace until you catch up. It's you catch up in some, some one or another. So another thing is judgment to mind. 
judging others. Self-judgment also is very strong, actually. So that's also another form of papancha, actually. So you judge yourself. I'm not a good yogi. Everybody's really enlightened. I'm not yet. And everybody's concentrated. My mind is restless. Uh, I mean, we comp we actually judge ourselves, uh, and then uh, that brings a lot of uh, discouragement when we judge ourselves so harshly. So uh, I think the best way is always that when the thought arises of judgment, just make it a subject of meditation. Judgment, judging, judging. A soft mental note, I think, is very helpful. Even comparing mind, as I told, uh, when I told you about comparing, you can also become a way of comparing mind, comparing. I think this is very helpful, but I think finally I settled on one technique of, about comparing others is just mind your business. I think that's the best, best can. And I gave it a kind of a, a, a abbreviation, M-Y-B, mind your business. <laughs> So I think you'll get rid of uh, at least some gross comparison and self-judgment if you really mind your business in terms of comparing others. And then you do your own thing, forget about what others are doing, and then self-judgment, try to make it as a subject of meditation. Now we go to the craving. That's uh, part of the triple papancha. Craving is a big thing, actually, in a retreat. This is mine, this is my cushion, this is my seat, this is my walking space. This can happen, actually. Uh, but uh, I think most of the time when we have that craving, it's usually around food, actually. It's, it's around food, actually. Uh, uh, the way uh, I don't know if you know that uh, uh, is wonderful, have one has wonderful food, and uh, the way they prepare it, they must have recipe somewhere written written it somewhere. And then I've had some yogis wrote notes during 1999 retreat, and people are asking recipes when they are still practicing how to prepare this food and all these things. I think that's come from also papancha. Another thing is, uh, most of you, I think, you've been practicing for a long time. And um, some of us here, we're in isolated places, maybe Mozambique, maybe Sudan, I don't know. Some places where there's no sitting group. There's a tendency on a retreat to say, wow, you know, uh, when I finish this retreat, uh, I'll talk this to this yogi, then we can make a sitting group. Then we can even make a family, and then we can come back and then practice with Joseph. So, so many things can go on, actually, during the retreat. Uh, and I would like you to be mindful of whatever thought that comes up that, regarding planning what's going to come on after the retreat. I think most of it is, how am I going to practice in their life? That question comes... People come to me, uh, not here, but uh, sometime when we have a retreat. Uh, the first day of the retreat, they practice. Things are going on very well. Then they come to me, how can I practice this Dharma in their life? I say, no, you, you, you are still here. <laughs> we are not there yet. 
you know, if it's seven days, wait and ask me this question on the seventh day, when before you go home. <laughs> but they still come up with that thought, how to practice in their life. You should ask a question, how to practice now? <laughs> so I think that's also something that comes up due to the mind going all over. Now, how does this arise, actually? How does Papancha arise? So we are going to go to the discourses now of the Buddha so that we know where all the thought arises. We get to know the mechanics, the nuts and bolts, where all these thoughts come. It's in a discourse which is called Hannibal Madhupindika Sutta in Majmanikaya, Dhamma 18. Here the Buddha talks about how we have this sense organ, maybe the eye and then the visible object, and then uh, the coming of the two is um, called sense consciousness or the eye consciousness in that case, if it's an eye and a visible object. So the meeting of the three is called contact. So the meeting of the three things is called contact. Um, then from contact, is, the Buddha said, with contact as a condition, there's a feeling, Vedana, which uh, Andrea talked about uh, uh, very well this morning. And then what one feels, one perceives. What one perceives, one thinks about. Vitakating. What one thinks about, that one mentally proliferates. Papancheti. So that's how papancha arises. It's a very simple process. The Buddha uh, really tracked down all the psychological mental states and uh, uh, laid it out for us there. So then he continues saying that with that, with what one has mentally proliferated as the source, perception and notions tingled by mental proliferation beset a, a person with respect to the past, future, and present forms cognizable through the sense organ or the eye, for, that, for, for instance. As to the source through which perception as a notion is tingled by mental proliferation beset a person, if nothing is found there to delight in, welcome or hold on, hold on to. This is the end of underlying tenets, anusaya. To last, aversion, views, doubt, conceit, desire for being, ignorance, this is the end of resorting to rods and uh, weapons of quarrels, disputes, malice, false speech. Here, this evil, unwholesome states of mind cease without remainder. Finally, one does not quarrel with anyone in the world. Perceptions, perceptions no more underlie that person who abides detached from sensual pleasures, with perplexities, uh, with worries, free from craving of any kind. So if you want to know about these thoughts, I think that's a very discourse to read. It lays down how Papancha arises and how to overcome it. So now, there is another interesting word which is called Nipapancha which is the opposite. That means uh, the cessation of papancha. If you can overcome papancha, then you reach what we call nipapancha, the opposite. And the Buddha compared that to nibbana. 
In one discourse, he talked about this actually in Tregata. This is a, a part of the Kudak Nikaya, which is sayings of the terrors, elders. He said that the untrained person who indulges in and delights in a horrific conceptualization is far, from, is far or removed from Nibbana, the incomparable, the incomparable freedom of, from bondage. One who, having given up such conceptualization, delights in the path to non-proliferation. One attains to Nibbana, the incomparable freedom from bondage. So yes, it's very interesting that uh, uh, when you overcome this papancha, then you actually reach peace, happiness, and final liberation. Now, I'm going to offer ways on how to overcome obsessive thoughts, especially papancha. Using Buddha's own te- his own teaching, Buddha's, his, Buddha's teaching, because actually these thoughts didn't start only today in Bari. <laughs> they used to be there even 2,600 years ago. Can you imagine? 2,600 years ago, people used to have papancha. <laughs> it's amazing. Now we have it in a different form, actually. Maybe it's faster, I don't know. The Buddha, during Buddha's time, there was many speculative views, many, many, many. And there were 10 questions that were buzzing around to test whether you are a kind of a, a very good spiritual teacher, whether you are a very wise teacher, or the, the teachings were valid or not. So these questions are... Uh, they come down in the scriptures, but they're very interesting. Maybe they are not still around this time, but uh, they were talking about whether the world is eternal or internal, whether this, the, the, the world is finite or infinite, whether there is a soul, the soul and the body is the same or different, whether the Tathagata, what's the, that's what the Buddha called himself, but also before that, that word was there. Uh, to mean a being. So in other words, whether the being, Tathagata, uh, whether uh, after death uh, is uh, whether he's, he, uh, he, he, what, what happened to him, the, or how, or that Tathagata, whatever they call the being. So these questions we are buzzing around uh, what 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 happened to somebody when they die? They die like who's a Tathagata? <laughs> so does it stay in the same state or or both or neither? It does it continue or does it disappear completely? So these are questions that uh, we are asked many uh, times to spiritual leaders. So the Buddha actually was very wise. He pushed us. He pushed pushed aside those questions. And the, for reasons which, which are very interesting, he said that uh, they don't lead to peace, such questions, that, that kind of papancha doesn't lead to peace, doesn't lead to wisdom, uh, that kind of papancha does not lead to 
uh, enlightenment and, and final liberation. So he really put aside those questions on pragmatic reasons or grounds. And also, whenever he saw that uh, the, somebody who's asking a question is not ready and also the question is misplaced, so for psychological reasons, he found out people, if they're already confused, they even ask wrong answers, I mean questions. So he pushed them aside. And also some questions that were exceeding the limits of knowledge. For, uh, in that case, for epistemological reasons, he pushed them aside. And we call them abiyakata. That means unanswered questions, not unanswerable questions. The Buddha, of course, could answer those questions. But they were not actually leading to wisdom. They are not leading to awakening. So some of the things that we go through, actually, the papancha we have, Ask yourself, does it lead to wisdom? Does it lead to peace? Does these thoughts lead to liberation and all these things? You might want to check in when you have such thoughts like that. So really, uh, you know for yourself when you have all these thoughts. You are sitting here and you have all these thoughts which have nothing to do with what we are doing here. Let's say you are planning now a vacation to Rio de Janeiro. So do you think that has a practical importance here? <laughs> I don't think so. So you have to say, not now. So you can actually push, uh, put them aside. And uh, I remember when I had th thoughts in 99, uh, longer retreats uh, like that, uh, what I did, I had the paper and I just wrote them down. I just wrote the question down and put it in my wardrobe. I, I found out it was a very good practice. Then when I came... To, and the th same thought came, I mean, I said, it's there, I won't <laughs> forget. I'll read it when I, the retreat ends. I mean, it was working out very well. Instead of thinking the same thoughts and then uh, sweating and all these things. So I just wrote it down. Of course, this is not to tell you that write books and thesis about your questions. This is not what I'm encouraging you to do. Start writing all your things, your thoughts. No, no, no. I mean, thoughts which are bugging me so much. Um, I mean, I had so many unfinished, a lot of unfinished business when I did a three-month retreat. So there were some thoughts that really, really uh, were bugging me, like changing my ticket, air ticket. I mean, if I didn't change it, then I... I had to lose the whole thing. So these things was coming all the time. And I just wrote down, okay, go to the office on this date, change your ticket. Finish. <laughs> I never thought about this again because I know it was somewhere, you know, written. So don't write books about your thoughts. But if something is bugging you, I think you can really put it down. Okay, a few techniques that you can use. I came up with seven. All of them, they are may be familiar to you, but let's go over them. The first one, how to overcome obsessive thoughts. It's called restraining of senses. Restraining of senses is the first technique, I think, which is very, very important to overcome thoughts. As you all know, prevention is better than cure. <laughs> so it's good sometimes to Prevent. Of course, they will come. I'm not saying that they won't come. So the way we practice this restraining of six senses, 
which is given in Satipatthana Sutta and Mahasatipatthana Sutta, is whenever we see something, we become aware of seeing. Whenever we hear something, we become aware of hearing, tasting, smelling, touching, thinking. Actually, that's all what's going on. In your day, you may have other things going on, but really to really uh, face the truth is what's going on is these six things, seeing, thinking, you know. But when you are noting, it will be very, very important to really uh, be clear when something's happening. For instance, hearing. Let's say, for instance. Hearing. You are hearing a sound and you are thinking of a bell. But most of the time, when I ask people, what did you hear? They say, oh, I heard a bell. That's not very skillful because then you are interchanging things. You can bring awareness to both. You can bring awareness to hearing sound and thinking of a bell, but not hearing, <laughs> uh, hearing a bell and thinking of sound. So is that clear? <laughs> so the same with other senses. Actually, they made an experiment where they, they, when they run a kind of vacuum, you cannot hear it. Yes, yeah, so it's really very important to tune in when you're practicing. Uh, let's say when the airplane is going up there, hearing. Don't, not hearing the airplane. That's a different uh, process. <laughs> so thinking, it's okay. Thinking is okay if you're aware of thinking. The problem is getting caught up in thinking. That's the problem. Most people, especially, I don't know, maybe here because most of you are seasoned meditators. I've seen many, many times people think, oh, you know, I'm meditating, I have thoughts, I cannot meditate. So they think that to, to come to meditate, it's to actually drain all your thoughts so that you don't have any thoughts. So you become a zombie, and that you become like a kind of vegetable. No, really, actually, we have to be mindful of thoughts. There's no problem to be aware of thoughts, all right? You should be aware of thoughts, and we should observe when we are caught up in thoughts. So a mental note, of course, that's very helpful. Whenever you are seeing something, become aware of seeing. Yeah. If we don't do this, we are going to have triple papancha. <laughs> that means three things are going to happen. One is you're going to get attached to your eyes, and then the visible object, you have a lust for it, and then also you'll have craving for seeing. Three things happening almost at the same time. Now, if we don't like the object, that can trigger some kind of papancha. I remember on a three months, I, I, I was going through the college and I saw dirty socks. I said, wow, why don't these people wash the socks? <laughs> so that's long time ago, but I still remember it. I mean, it's amazing what comes on actually in the mind, actually. I mean, we are kind of... Uh, Innocent, you know, but these thoughts come and I didn't like it that actually I judged these socks. This pair of socks was dirty. I didn't like it that I did that, but anyway, I did. So uh, we dislike the object also to trigger papancha. Huh? We start uh, having aversion and all this kind of thing. So um, then it's very important to know that 
when aversion arises, it just comes from all our sense, you know. Uh, that means uh, there's what we call underlying tenants. Underlying tenants, uh, the Pali words called anusaya. Anu means sleeping. I mean, uh, anu means along, and saya means sleeping. So something that's sleeping alone, yeah, sleeping alone, that Pali word is called anusaya. So these are underlying tenants we have, like aversion and uh, um, and uh, desire and uh, delusion. So when we see something, as well, of course, we have these underlying tenants. They will trigger very, very fast without even knowing. They will trigger this kind of aversion. So the key is to not, as soon as you see something, seeing. Not seeing stocks, <laughs> data stocks. I don't like it. They should wash it. I think these things come again and again. As a retreat coordinator at Bavana Society, when I used, to, I used to stand at monastery, I used to receive many notes from yogis when they just talk. They were just talking about things that really come from Papancha. Like somebody would write me a note, you know, I don't like that person, the way he's clearing the throat, the way he's coughing. I mean, I mean, so many things. The way they walk, somebody's jacket is wearing a jacket and is making a lot of noise, it's disturbing my meditation. It's just amazing, actually. For me, I was reading these notes before I give them to Banta Gunaratana, and I was really kind of sorting out really which questions are more important. I was amazed what how the mind works, actually. After having seen my mind during the retreat, and I said, wow, it's not personal. <laughs> People are going through the same. I mean, I was taking it personal, man, the way I, I do this kind of retreat and go through this, you know. So it was very interesting to watch. There are instructions given in a, a discourse called uh, Bahira. It is from Udana. That's the scripture where it comes from. It's very, very important when it comes to this practice. And I think it's very common you have heard about this. These are the instructions of Vipassana meditation, uh, which most teachers give. But here thought he was in Latin, actually. He thought he was an arahant. And then his followers said, no, 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 you are not yet there. So he said, they told him there's a, the Buddha is the one who is a fully enlightened being. So out of curiosity, he went to the Buddha. And when he, want the Buddha, he went to the Buddha, he saw this man was very composed and all that. He doubted his enlightenment. And say yes, you are the you are the one who's fully enlightened. Please give me some instructions. So he kept on bugging the Buddha three times until Buddha really told him the instructions. Okay, this is what he told him. This is the shortest, inst I think, instructions that you can really remember and you can use them in terms of uh, sense con sense restraint. It's called in the scene. There will be this just the scene in the heart. Just the heart, in the sensed, that means smelled, touched, and tasted, just the sensed. In the cognized, just the cognized. That is how, Bahia, actually, you should train yourself. And Bahia, when he had this instruction, I mean, the discourse keep on going. When he had these instructions, he attained enlighten, enlightenment. So, you know that this instruction, 
are there for you. <laughs> you can get, attain enlightenment. I mean, but he was very actually, uh, though he wasn't a Buddhist, but he had a lot of concentration. He was very, uh, I mean, he was a seasoned meditator. He had already meditated in jhanas and all these things. Okay, those are the first instructions uh, about uh, restraining the senses. So the second one is, is recognition of the thought as soon as it arises. I think this is similar to what Joseph said, but still I had to include it because this is a Dharma talk. So it's, <laughs> I mean, I don't know whether they recorded his talk, but I'm not going to repeat what he said. But you know, whatever the instruction Joseph gave, a number two, recognition, mindfulness, Mental note as soon as it arises, make a soft mental note, not thinking, thinking, thinking. No, no, no. <laughs> so you should use, the, actually, when you're doing uh, this kind of practice, you have to be gentle and soft. So allowing 98% to be your direct experience, and then you use the mental note, like 2%, uh, to really connect you to what's happening. What's your experience in that moment? So if it's a thought of the past, remembering. If it's the thoughts of the future, planning. Wandering mind. So all the things you can keep on noting, how it feels when you note them, that they're increasing, that they're decreasing, that they're staying the same. So usually when thoughts come, we don't do such things. Right? We, we are afraid of thoughts. It's amazing. They're just like bubbles, actually. <laughs> So, but we believe in them, we make stories around them, and then we get scared. So we should, do, of course, gain as much insight knowledge into these uh, thoughts as they are impermanent. We see for ourselves whenever we not, they might change. And there's, I think, an insight that you won't miss when you, you are dealing with thoughts if you practice Vipassana. There's one... Th- Insight that really you won't miss. Do you know that? When you are dealing with thoughts, you'll find one insight that actually the, you cannot control the mind. That's called insight into non-self. It's beyond your control. Because sometimes you note them, <laughs> they're not going anywhere. <laughs> they're, just, they're just there. Sometimes they go, of course, they decrease, but really... They might stay, but the idea of meditation, whether they go or not, that shouldn't be their goal. Their goal is, should, can I understand these thoughts? Can I understand the nature of these thoughts? I think that's very important. Can I be wiser? Can I gain wisdom? Uh, what's your attitude as you are, um, you are trying to practice? Are you trying to push them away that I shouldn't have thoughts and all this kind of thing? So I think that's very important. Now, the next techniques come from one discourse. I'm going to spell them out for you. It's called Vitaka Santana Sutta. This is Majima Nikaya, number 20. This is just amazing, actually, because I'm so surprised how the Buddha knew the, how the, our mind worked and provided techniques that can really help us, even today. So that brings us to the third technique. More of these techniques are actually helping us even to gain concentration as we go through. But the first one I mentioned is more of actually to get insight into the thoughts themselves. But this is more of actually uh, as you're 
dealing with the thoughts, you gain even concentration. Okay, this third method is called repress, replacement method. Replacement method. So the, the way this, it, the way how this works, is actually you replace a thought, less of greed, hatred, and delusion. You replace it with the thought of non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. So you replace an wholesome state of mind with a wholesome state of mind. I think we do this a lot here during your instruction meta loving kindness that's what i'm think i think that's what you're doing we have instructions here going on in the afternoon we do what we call replacement method may i be well up and peaceful may I, all this kind of thing may i be free from suffering we are replacing that is easy because you have already done it sometime not all the time when to come to a difficult person, it's very difficult to replace. <laughs> May you be happy. <laughs> you wish somebody who you hate to be happy in order to cause you more harm. <laughs> so I think that might be very difficult, but uh, also it's workable to replace a thought of hatred with non-hatred. So by starting with all beings, send metta to all beings. And then you end up with the person you don't like. It's to heck with you. So I've sent meta to all beings. <laughs> all deers and bears and anacondas and I don't know what. It works actually. <laughs> because if all beings are happy, all deers are happy and buffaloes and elephants and all that. I just find it so easy to send loving kindness to a difficult person. I don't know about you, but for me, it's so easy. Because I've seen many animals in different countries. <laughs> so I send them all loving kindness. And then I come to a difficult person, it's just a piece of cake. <laughs> I don't have any hangover on that. I don't have a problem with that. So then the third technique, we have finished it. We go to the fourth, reflection. Reflection method. You reflect on your thoughts. This is an exercise the Buddha carried out in his six years as an ascetic, striving to attain enlightenment. He divided the thoughts into two. What one is on a unwholesome state of mind, another one wholesome state of mind. What's very interesting here that the Buddha never divided the thought that these are bad thoughts. <laughs> these are good thoughts, in this discourse at least. That brings us to a distinction between what is skillful and unskillful. Because if we say these are bad thoughts, bad according to who? According to Bante? According to, <laughs> according to who? Okay, these are good thoughts. According to who? So this bad and good can be judgmental, right? So the Buddha used skillful thoughts, awesome th thoughts, and unawesome thoughts. So then uh, the clear distinction, which I find it very interesting, is actually to look at the motivation. What's the motivation behind these thoughts? If the motivation is greed, hatred, and delusion, then it's unawesome. If the motivation is renunciation, 
generosity, compassion, loving kindness, they are wholesome, skillful. And also, we look at the consequence. The consequence, what thoughts, what these thoughts leads to? Do they lead to happiness of oneself, others, and both? Yes, then they are wholesome, they are skillful. Do they lead to suffering, affliction of oneself, others, and of both? Then they are unskillful and wholesome. So this psychological distinction, I think, is very, very important in terms of looking at mental states because we judge ourselves so much. I'm a bad yogi because I'm thinking like this. These thoughts are bad. No, they're unskillful. They're leading to your suffering. <laughs> yes, so I think uh, it's very, very important to, to do this distinction. This distinction, and that's what the Buddha did actually to distinguish between the thoughts. And then he said that uh, whatever one frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of the mind. So your mind will incline towards uh, what you think. I think somebody has already talked about this. So in this division, he, he, we divided on one on, on one side of an awesome. He said. Those thoughts that lead to danger, degradation, defilement, these are thoughts lead to affliction. So every time he considered and reflected on them, he abandoned them. So when you reflect they're dangerous, you abandon them. On the other side of wholesome, he said that these thoughts are blessings of renunciation, like meta-loving kindness. They lead to happiness and uh, wisdom and awakening and all that. Then he cultivated them. He cultivated them, but then it's what's very interesting that he said that if uh, I cultivate even these thoughts that night, <coughs> I had no fear. But then when I continue practicing, he said that they tire the body. Even these wholesome states of mind, he said that the, the body got tired. So... He even gave up them, and then he started to practice concentration so that he calms the mind. So then, if even wholesome states of mind have to be uh, let go, so what about the unwholesome states of mind? So this reflection actually is more forward-looking. Forward-looking, look at where those thoughts are leading to you. Are they bleeding, leading to a blind, uh, blind end? An example I give when you're driving, let's say driving your car, and then all of a sudden you say police. Do you increase the speed, especially if you know that you're going to get a $50 ticket? No, you don't increase the speed. Eh? You reduce. So the same thing when you're racing, your mind is racing, and you know that these thoughts lead to affliction. Actually, they are going to lose the momentum. So that the gist this. So uh, remember, you reflect. The fifth one is redirection method, redirecting your mind. In a discourse, they use ignoring, but I don't want the, I don't want the word ignoring. <laughs> ignoring is a kind of, uh, kind of uh, motivated by ignorance. I want to use redirecting Redirection of your mind from 
those th thoughts to the breath. I think this technique you've been applying it. You from, let's say when your thoughts come, okay, now I'm on a beach somewhere and all this, and you always think about this, I'm taking coconut juice and all these things, I'm on a sandy beach and all this. So then you actually come to the breath. You redirect your mind from those thoughts of desire and you come to the breath. Then you can also redirect your mind to the body. You come to the body, feel the body touching. In a big picture, I think you can also walk in the nature. <laughs> that can help. But uh, really, come to the breath and the body is very, very important. The six method is retracing method, looking backwards. While reflection was looking forward, Retracing is going backwards. When you have thoughts, what's the emotion background? What's the what's the springboard? What's the what the thought uh, that is arising every time? Every time is bugging you. There must be something behind it. So then you look at the thought. Maybe there's fear behind that. Then you watch the fear. So that's you trying to connect. The thoughts with the springboard is very, very important, very important because sometimes it might be an emotion arising. And maybe it's fear, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's worry. So you connect to the springboard. That's very helpful. So they lose momentum. So then you go back. Why am I always having fear? The thoughts of fear is arising, arising all the time. Then you go to aversion. You find out maybe you have some kind of aversion. Then you go backwards. Why am I having all, all this anger, aversion all the time? Go backwards. Then you find out maybe you have attachment uh, to push away things that you don't like. You can keep on going like that. I think that's also another technique that helps you to overcome thoughts. At least you can weaken the thoughts. Lastly, is called resolution. You make a strong resolve. Determination. In Pali, it's called Aditana. Determination. It's one of the perfections that the Buddha developed, actually, uh, and he became a Buddha. This is a very important uh, perfection. So, you make a strong resolve. I know we have made a resolve in New Year. You know, I won't do this, I won't do this. You can also make a resolve. Okay, I'm not going to be angry for at least the next one hour. This, <laughs> it doesn't mean that you won't get angry. <laughs> you will get angry, but actually you remember. So I don't know if you have heard about this. It's very common in the Dharma circles. Mindfulness is not difficult, but what's difficult is to remember to be mindful. So you want to write this resolve somewhere <laughs> that I'm not going to get angry today. And whenever thought comes, it's amazing how we remember, actually, because we have made a strong resolve. And make that strong resolve in the morning when your mind is fresh. For me, that's what I do, actually. Uh, I got it from His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. He, say, he said that as soon as you wake up, just reflect along this line. I'm going to um, 
uh, I'm going to use all my life for attaining uh, awakening. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to think bad about others. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to, <coughs> to attain enlightenment for the sake of all beings. But I modified that. I, I put myself there, actually, so that I don't miss the boat. Because <laughs> I'm a Theravada monk. So. <laughs> so I put myself there. I'm going to attain enlightenment for the sake of all beings, including myself. So I don't leave myself outside the boat. So uh, these are the techniques that uh, we have discussed. And uh, maybe I'll do a little bit of recap <laughs> before we end. The first one was restraining. The second one, recognition. The third one was replacement. The fourth was reflection. The, th the fifth was redirection. The sixth was uh, retracing. The seventh was resolution. Thank you very much for listening. Let us sit for a moment or two. The arising of thoughts is beyond our control, but the awareness of thoughts can make a difference between being caught up in them and being free. for this for your reflection. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.